Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Bootstrapped Web. Mr. Brian Castle, what's happening? Hello, Mr. Jordan. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. And, you know, look, everything has been upgraded on this podcast. I now have a boom from my mic. And I'm a professional. If you look at the Zoom window, I look like a real podcaster. That's right. That's right. Much more seriously, uh, everything's going to get a lot better. Yeah, this is this is turning into like a real podcast. Only like five years later. <laughs> it's been awesome, years. man. Has it been? I was I was oh, thinking about that. I was talk. I was on somebody somebody else's podcast, and we were talking about like how long I've been podcasting. I think it was it 2013 or 2014 when this started. I, I forgot. Was it before or after I launched Cardhook? Because what in the world did I talk mm. about before? I do not. I've known you from. Episodes. I've known you from before Cardhook. I forgot yes. when we actually started the podcast though. I don't know, man. 2014 or 15. Either way, yeah. it's 2020 now. The Been world's ending. There's smoke outside my window. Kids can't go outside. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. that like, crazy. Is that close to Portland? So I would say that I'm not in danger of burning in a fire and dying, but there is smoke everywhere. And it is insane outside and the light is crazy. And, you know, San Francisco, a lot of people... Uh, you know, the pictures are crazy. Are pictures. crazy. Did you see that Blade Runner cut from drone video? I saw people tweeting about that. Yeah. Oh, you should watch it. It's, it's, yeah. It's, the yeah. pictures, I mean, from San Francisco, but then I saw some from, from like, I think they were like 30 minutes out of Portland. Yeah. We, we looked at, the, at those pictures and we're like, oh, that looks terrible. And then it hit here, not from those California fires, but from Oregon fires, actually. And people are pretty close by. Uh, one of our friends actually is evacuated. He went off to an Airbnb. No shit. Um, I've always lived on the East Coast here. So, like, what happens when, like are are you just like not going outside like what yesterday portland had the worst air quality of any city in the world <laughs> which is so hardcore it's just not good for you you're not going to like go outside and choke and you know arnold schwarzenegger eyes bug out on mars type of thing but it's really bad for you so all the windows are closed kids can't play outside like all, all that stuff just another week in 2020 baby that's all just another week like just in case 2020 wasn't crazy enough now now we've got this of course that that's like an every year thing at this point yeah yeah but here we are on the podcast ready to talk about things of an intellectual and business nature yes okay and i have i have a little agenda you have no agenda or at least you thought but then we talked before this and now we have things to talk about yeah i've got a couple things but uh yeah sounds like you've got a packed show here why don't don't you kick it off okay okay so we are done with hiring on the engineering front, uh, right? The way we look at it, I think it makes sense. We got to hire up the engineering, build stuff, and then all of a sudden we need to then have the customer side of the team catch up, right? The additional support people and so on. And so I let the cat out of the bag on the last episode. What we're doing is launching an app into the Shopify app store for post-purchase offers that work with the Shopify checkout. So that's, that's the thing we're on. And negotiations with them, you know, they concluded pretty recently in August. And so launch is set for late October. And so think about this. We need to launch an app into the Shopify app store that's going to get a a very large amount of exposure basically within two months. So you and I were talking about it way before you announced it on the pod, but like how, how long ago did you, did your team start building the new Shopify app? we didn't have anything to work with for a while. So we were waiting on Shopify to get us API docs. So we were mapping things out and thinking things through and identifying parts of our app that are no longer relevant. And what does that mean? And what does that mean for onboarding? So we were planning, but didn't really start building until late August. And so we, we hired a full team and the challenge was we have an existing product that requires a, a decent amount of work. I saw the debate you had on Twitter around the technical debt. We're in year three <laughs> and we did not do everything perfectly. And that's why I added that tweet around, well, you make a lot of decisions because you're like, just get this to work because there's so many other things that might kill us as a company that are more important to deal with that you just, you are willingly taking on that technical debt. And we're in year three of that uh, with, with this product. And so we have a lot of maintenance work to do. I mean, I'm I'm like 1.5 years into the code base on Process Kit, and there is a ton of te- technical debt already, you know. And it's it's kind of scary because like I I know where all the things are, and my 
well, I'll get into it in my next update, but yeah, it, it really does feel like in, in these products uh, that are, they're, they're going to get complex no matter what you do. And it, so much is determined by the initial burst of energy and the initial building in that first year or two that sets you up on this trajectory of you're just going to be a slow product or you're going to maintain speed. It's, it's tough to do. So now what, what we've done, we didn't want to scramble the team. People who are focused on the current product, we didn't want to just derail them completely and take them off of that and then not be able to satisfy customer needs and so on. So we, we built a separate team and we, we used like a silo strategy. How do we keep things in silos until the point where we should unsilo? And so right now we are unsiloing. What like do you mean by spent, silos? So we have a new team and we are not scrambling channels in Slack. Oh yeah. Like, like just th these team members are just focused on this one product yes. or one part of the product. And yes. And yeah. same, same with the customer side of the team. And so the success and support teams for us to just stress them out with all of these different issues that we're trying to figure out for a brand new product just didn't make sense for a while. And now all of a sudden it makes sense. Now it's, well, we need to start communicating. Now that we've let customers know that this is happening, now we need more detail. So now we're in the process of unsiloing. So we kind of kept it you know, together for a month. And now we're, we're starting to open things up and trying to figure out what to do around that. And we have a lot of concerns. I have a lot of concerns around, I keep trying to put myself in someone's shoes that is working on the existing product. Right. If you are a success person, support person, support engineer that's working on Carthook Classic, let's call it, uh, how are you feeling? You're seeing that you're seeing the company put all this energy and excitement towards something new that you're not working on. You're worried about your future, and so I, I'm trying to communicate around those things, around what we're going to do in the transition, and bring people over as appropriate. And a lot of it is ambiguous because we don't know how long. We could continue running Carter Classic for the next two years for all I know. We have a lot of merchants there that can't go back to the Shopify checkout, whether through strategic reasons, payment processor reasons, whatever else. Um, so we, we might be running that product for a while. And so I think it's my job to really empathize with each individual person's feelings about all of it. I'm not like a office culture kind of I haven't been in an office culture in forever. So I wonder what it's like to, to be members of the team working on Carto Classic, say six months from now, when really the main focus and, and growth area of the company is, is on the Shopify app store and, and you're just kind of supporting existing customers. That's, that's um, right. We, we, have to, we have to think about that. You know, if, if you're in that position and you're, you're 28 years old and you're thinking about your career, you you want to be able to look to your company for answers on, okay, well, what's next for me? Where is this going? That's, that's our responsibility. I have a hard time with this with everybody on my team um, and, and any, anybody that I ever hire, like putting myself in their shoes, they are not founders and they're not trying to be, at least not in this company, you know, like may, maybe they're not as concerned with that as, you, as, as we might be as founders. Very possible. Very possible. You know, like you're, you're focused on growth. You're focused on markets and everything on that front. Yeah, but like value creation and value creation, what you know, yes. the customer needs and the positioning and all this different stuff. But the customer rep, like they're showing up for work and they're just being an awesome customer support person. And how much does that matter? You know, I don't know. And I try not to make too many assumptions and project onto them but it is worth being concerned about and then, ex and then exploring. Yeah. So I, I think that's really it. I, th I think you're right to point that out to say, well, don't just assume they have the same mindset as you do. And they're like, looking at the clock, like, well, what's going on? What's next for me? But I don't, I don't think you can assume otherwise, right? You don't want to assume the opposite. So, so this, this dialogue and the, a lot of the challenge comes in. Could it also be like a structural thing in the, in the org chart, if you will, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you already have, systems like this where uh, we do we do have an org chart yeah i mean like uh systems for promotions i've heard of companies doing that where it's like look you join the company in this position at this role here's the roadmap that that 
if if you want, you could progress over the next three years to 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 upgrade to you know promote to this position and then potentially into this position. The current position, like the Carto Classic, requires eight support reps, so these are filled. Um, there are openings in the other department, and if you if your career progresses to that point, you could raise your hand that you want that opening when it's available. You know. Yeah, yeah. So we're not as formalized as that in terms of like this is this is the, the steps that 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 you take. Uh, there's pros and cons to that, right? Like consulting companies like McKinsey, it's pretty straightforward. It's like after two years, you either go to the next step or you're out. And that's straightforward. And everyone kind of understands what to expect. For, for us, we're, we're not that formalized. It's going to be tricky. There's no question about it. It's going to be tricky. And I'm just going to do my best to make sure that people who helped us get to where we are uh, have the opportunity to, to continue on with us. Uh, that there's something very wrong about you helped us get here and then you get left behind. Like that, that's not okay. So got to figure it out one thing at a time. Yep. Yep. What's up on your side, my man? Well, I just got an email this morning from, you know, I talked a lot about how I've been working with a developer. Uh, they're, they're actually an agency in India. I think the agency has something like close to a hundred employees. And so they're, they're pretty big, but they had assigned me one guy. And I think that, that he probably delegates some tasks to other members of their team, but but my guy is is the person that I talk to every day. He's like the lead developer, one of one of the lead, more experienced, like Ruby on Rails devs over there. And I got an email from uh, one of the agency heads telling me that he's on his way out. He's he's leaving that agency, and there's enough lead time. I mean, I think he's actually not leaving until the end of October. And so they so I have a call with them next week. Uh, I just learned this today, so I'm going to be having a call with with you know like they're a couple of like the head head people over there in the agency talk and they and they've already identified who his replacement is going to be for for me for my account and it'll be you know like a month or month and a half transition period of my guy kind of training up the new guy it's nice that it's not sudden yeah and like i don't know anything about the new person and how what his experience level is but i know for a fact it's going to be a it's going to be a lot of work just to get up to speed on process kit and and it worries me because like me and, and my guy have been cranking. And I literally just tweeted about this yesterday, you know, about how fast we ship features. That's, that's right. That's right. Is there anything to approaching him directly? I, I sort of, like, I <laughs> sort was of the immediate thought as soon as you got the email. <laughs> I literally DM'd him on Slack like yes, within yes. an hour. <laughs> yes, okay. um, well, so I, you know, I just wanted to feel it out. I was like, so where are you going? Are you, are you going to another agency? Are you going to yeah, a product you want, you company? Move to suburban Connecticut? What do you think? <laughs> right. <laughs> he said he's going to a product company, not so not another agency. Then the thought was also like, and I, it's not like I gave him any sort of offer or anything like that. Like, I don't even know if it's, if it would be a good idea to, to do that because it's like, He's great. I'm I, I like his skill set is awesome. His communication is perfect. Part of me like I don't actually know how much of the consistency of their delivery has been just solely him or the fact that they have a team behind and and some systems behind him. Right, the results have been good. The the results have been have been real like I think his coding skills are 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 totally solid. But like the way that they like anal like every new feature, they do an analysis and they give me like an hour's estimate and it's super standardized and it's like really, really helpful and all that kind of stuff. And like very impressive, not, not an easy thing to maintain as an agency. Yeah, I could I could tell they really have their shit together, like behind the scenes, like the stuff that I don't see. I could I could see how solid they are. Yeah, we used to work with an agency in Slovenia that did excellent work. And then as they grew, it just it just all came apart, it just wasn't organized. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it even shows in this transition. I haven't even had the call with them next week, but like they've, they've just emailed me. They're like, we already know who, who the new person is going to be. We're just going to, we want to have a call with you to just discuss what the next month is going to yeah. look like. Are you comfortable saying who they are? Because they might get some business from, from this, you know, this level. Of I mean, experience. multiple people have, have asked me from listening to the podcast and I've given the name out. It's Mallow Tech. Yeah. M-A-L-L-O-W tech.com. They're in India. I've, I've already sent them like a ton of business. Um, what you asked was my immediate thought was like, maybe I could just get them directly. But like then, then it's sort of a question of like, well, it might be a little bit more risky just to have him on a freelance solo basis 
maybe it's just better to, to, to ride this out and see how it goes with the, with the new person. I just hope that it's not a big setback because I also right now have a totally full roadmap of features. We're, and, and, they, and these are not simple features anymore. We're, we're building, we're now up to the roadmap where every feature we build is pretty complex. Because it's like, we've already built the simple stuff. Now we're building the power stuff. Well, look, I, I assume the agency does not want to lose your business and, and therefore will be accommodating in giving you a shot at rejecting someone if, if, the, if it doesn't work out. If it's not the right person, not the right skill level, whatever it is, you can say, I, I need someone else. I'm always dumbfounded, mostly due to ignorance, that an engineer can jump on board and just jump into a code base and start doing things. I, I don't understand it, but it, it happens all the time. We just built a whole bunch of stuff and we needed to fill the gaps. We hired some people that aren't available full-time for a month. We filled the gap with two people from an agency and they're doing unbelievably well. And in my mind, it, I have so worried about it because I said, how do you, without context, how do you jump in? And especially around the front end, you, you can do that. The back end, more complicated, need more context. You need more visibility into what's happening behind other things. But the front end is here's the UI, here are the endpoints and go. Yes. And, and if, if this were just a brand new dev that I, I set out to go hire, like I would bring them on board and I would just give them very small tasks. Let's start with you fixing this, this bug and that bug. And, and here's a very simple feature for you to build. And now let's do a slightly more complex feature. And now, right. now a little, and, you, and, you and, that, that. and that's literally how I went with this guy. But now we're at the point where it's like, I could just, I could just spend 20 minutes and write some specs for a pretty complex new feature and let them run for a week with it. All right. You, you have know, to build um, it back up to that. Yeah. And like, and, but like, it's, I wasn't planning on doing this right now, like, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, you know, really thinking about it, it's like today is uh, is September 11th. I think he's still going to be, you know, with me through the end of October. So it's like more than a month and a half. I, I think it'll be plenty of time for them to kind of work together for six weeks and then, and then my first guy, you know, phases out. So, Hopefully that's hopefully it's not as much of a setback as I as I worry. Exactly right. It could could be better. So keep us updated on it. It's a, it's a tough thing to deal with. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Let's see what's next on my agenda. I have I have some finance stuff to talk about. I can do it quickly. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to mention that this week something exciting happened on the finance front. Eric Reese and his team launched the LTSE, the Long-Term Stock Exchange, which is billing itself as a NASDAQ and NYSE competitor, a new exchange for public stocks. And their whole approach in the name, Long-Term Stock Exchange, is to avoid what happens in the public markets now where everything is aimed at the next quarter's earnings and beating expectations and pumping price and CEOs, you know, and executives compensation directly tied to the stock performance instead of customer and employee performance, all these things that they identify as unhealthy. And they are looking and working with companies that have a longer term mindset. It's it's a bit of the tiny seed indie VC ethos at the highest end in the public markets. So it, it is something I think we should be rooting for and will be interesting to see. My understanding was that they were talking to some very large customers to try to get like, you know, namesake like Stripe and Airbnb and those types. I don't know how that's working out for them. I'm like a, you know, finance industry uh, complete idiot. So <laughs> uh, like, I know, I know you, you come from this whole world like how does it how, how do you even launch something like that like how like like structurally or or like you know between like government regulations and they must have to launch with with some license to be a, an absolutely exchange, that's you know? right that's right you have to go through all that process on the legal front i mean i am not a player in the finance world i am a spectator <laughs> and so i don't understand all those details either but it's like anything else that seems opaque at first there are people in there that are just like you and i they're not super geniuses there's just a way to do it there's a way to get and then this stuff for done. the companies like like an airbnb or whatever like when you talk about like like doing an ipo how does eric reese's thing suddenly become an option for a company to go 
public? Like how, how do these pieces fit together? Yeah, what, what you're really doing is making your stock available for people to purchase. And there are a lot of different channels to purchase stock through, whether it's um, direct with things like Trade, right? You go in there, you sign in or, or Robinhood, you go in and you, when you go into Robinhood and you type in a ticker symbol and you hit buy, that order is flowing through. It used to flow through an exchange floor with a bunch of dudes on vests doing hand signals. Now it's done electronically and it goes into a central pool and then it and then you go find the buyer that wants to sell at the price that you want to buy at. And it's it's still done that way. It's just electronic now. If you're listing on any exchange, right, the same way that you can buy something on NASDAQ or NYSE, and you don't really care which one it's on because it's going to that same pool that the public has access to. And I, I mean, there are definitely people listening to this being like, Jordan, you have no idea what you're talking about, which is true, but I'm just talking in, in, in generals here. General. But, and I guess like the thing is like, like when, when these big companies have these big IPOs, they're just going to the, the most, po- they're going to like the New York Stock Exchange, like, like, cause that's where the masses are, the, the investors. That's right. You want the biggest access to capital, you go to the biggest exchanges. That's why the big dogs list on NASDAQ and not the Toronto Stock Exchange. But there's different ways to do it. The penny stocks have their own exchange and the Deutsche market in Germany and London Stock Exchange. These are all avenues for the public to buy stock in public companies. Yeah. So it's it'll be interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Should I just move on to the next thing? You got something um, Well, yeah. Like one thing I'm working on right now is, is uh, on Process Kit. I've been working on this for over a week now, probably like a week and a half. And that is... Well, I'm basically working on like design tweaks, user interface, user experience improvements around the app. So some of it is like visual. I, I wouldn't call it a redesign, but it's like a, a refactoring of of the design. Part of the goal is to keep it still pretty in line and familiar to what it has been up until now, especially the key pieces like looking at a process and steps and I talked about it last week how I'm really focused on like just make this easier to adopt make it easier for new users to understand. There's a number of different like user interface related feedback and requests that I get from existing users. Like, oh, I wish, I wish these, these cards or these steps in a process didn't take up so, so much space. Like they don't have to be so big. I wish I could have like a more compact list view and things like that. And like, you know, those seem like very simple requests, but then, but, but from a design standpoint, like everything is connected and, and so I started like refactoring the design. At first it was like, all right, let me just make these very tiny little little improvements. And then like one thing leads to another. And now these are becoming bigger improvements. And like every day I'm like, all right, well, I just refactored that. So now I got to go through and change all these different views to be in line with that. And then I do three or four different rounds of that over a few days. And so now, and I think I think it's gotten to a pretty good place. I still have a lot of work to do on it, but it's the kind of project that, you know, with with new features, I I have a very tight deadline in my mind of like, okay, we're going to start this today. I know exactly what I need to do to hand it off to my developer. I'm giving him, him a bunch of tasks. And I expect we could probably ship this thing by Friday, maybe Monday next week. You know, it's a very, very defined list of to-dos to build. Okay. And, and you, you view this differently? Yeah, it's a little fuzzier. So like at first it was like I kept tweaking and I kept tweaking. So every time I tweaked, it would just add more time to the to the project. Now I'm a little bit further along. It's it's my 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 direction for it is solid. So now I just sort of have to finish the updates throughout the whole app before it's ready to to launch. It sort of feels good to work on something where where I don't have this like urgent pace. I'm just I'm just kind of doing my thing. I've got my developer cranking on some other big features right now got my marketer working on a bunch of content and some outreach stuff. I've got the email, the cold email outreach running that's automatic. So it, it feels good that I, that I, that I don't have to like stop progress on those other fronts. You know, people listening might, might disagree with this, but I, I feel it, that it's important to make sure that the, that the experience part of it is, is for the use it's to, to get users to, to adopt it easier. Part of it is to set up the, like from a design standpoint, I think you were just talking about this a minute ago. Like in the first year of an app, so many things change, like in terms of the feature set and the scope. I initially designed Process Kit for the scope that was a year ago. 
and we've added a lot more features since then and users have have started using it in different ways and and I didn't design for for all these things specifically and so now now I'm trying to update the design to be more in line with with where the product is now and where it's going with the upcoming features so yeah I like the idea of not having absolutely everything mapped out to the hour look cuz when you first start talking it sounded to me like Oh, you just you just don't have the same process for front end as you do for back end, right? Because our front end engineers have very similar process. Here's how many hours I expect it to work, and it's kind of like it's very similar to back end. But I like the idea of not having absolutely everything mapped out to the hour. And like the front end for me is is designing it and coding. Like I'm I'm designing it in the browser in the code. If I know exactly what needs to happen on the page, sure, two hours I'll get it done. But like. It's, it's half a day of going in one direction and be like, oh, you know what? It's better if I flip it to the other side. Now I got to spend another half a day refactoring yeah, that. There's, you know? there's, there's some creative license there, which, which isn't a bad thing. What, what I'm surprised by, though, is the visual nature of the feedback that you're describing. You know, I, I wish this looked smaller on the screen. To me, that's surprising as opposed to, I wish I could see these things at the same time. Or I wish when I, I could hide this. Or I wish I could do this with this part of the app. So it's a, it's a little surprising. Well, there's there's always that feedback too. There's like functional like feature requests that that come up too, and and we're hammering through that roadmap. You know, honestly, I, I wish it wasn't this type of product. And and uh, and hindsight, if I were in the mode of like, let me figure out what product to launch. Um, one of the things that I didn't spend as much time in vetting the the process kit idea as I maybe should have. You know, two year two three years ago is how dependent it, it is on everyday usage um, or activation. It's the type of product that like the teams that are using it are using it day to day. It's not an automatic. I mean, obviously everybody wishes they had like the automatic product that you pay hundred bucks a month for and it runs in the background, but like, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but yes, like it's, yeah. it's part of the set. It's part of the sales proposition. It's like, they're comparing it up against all the other tools and and if it doesn't feel right and if it doesn't and if they can't feel fast and productive in using it day to day they just can't have these like user experience frustrations and and it's more for the brand new users in their trial to get them like oh yeah this this is legit i could i could picture my team using this for years you know mm -hmm. i think a lot of that has to do with where you are right now in the journey where right now you're bumping up against the hard part of having a product that gets used constantly. The other side of that is that a product that gets used constantly very rarely gets removed, but you have to, you have to get there, right? The, the products that you pay a hundred bucks a month for and never look at, the, they're always in danger. It does sound like the dream, but you're always in danger. Yeah, people are converting but a lot of people are not converting. <laughs> and what, what bothers me, and maybe it shouldn't bother me as much as it does, is that a lot of the people who are not converting, I feel like should convert. So that, that, that should bother you. And, and I, I, I hung out there for two years and wanted, I almost lost my mind. I lost my co-founder. I <laughs> lost a lot of money. It was so hard to get to the other side of that. Like actually we had a couple of churns recently like I hate to see churn happen, but in a way I'm like, okay, I, I knew that 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 customer mm -hmm. probably wasn't a great fit. Yeah, it you know? doesn't hurt as much as someone like, like I, expe I expected that convert. they would probably churn at some point. But we have other really happy customers who are using it every single day. Their teams totally depend on it. 10, 12, 15 team members using it every day. Then I have, I don't know, whatever, 80, 90% of other trial users who look just like those customers they have all the same characteristics and i have conversations with them and they're super impressed with the demo and they pulled it in their stick and they and they pulled in their managers onto the demo and they and they're like they want to make it work and then and then and then it's like they just sort of drift away and i and i do follow-ups and sometimes they even so, do a follow-up and and it's like yeah <laughs> It's tough. That's the siren song, man. It pulls you toward the rocks. If, if it was like, oh, I'm not interested in this. This is all wrong for me. It's almost easier. Yeah. Yeah. I know that like just giving it a, a new fresh coat of paint is not 
just the answer to that. I'm working on a lot of different things, like getting better leads in the top of the funnel, and I'm working on um, a lot of big functional features that are that are rolling out. Like one is uh, this will be out by the time this airs next week. We're releasing dynamic roles, so the larger teams that come in, they have multiple people in each role. Like in audience ops, we have multiple writers, and we have multiple managers, and we have multiple editors. As you build out a process and, and process kit, up until now, you you could say like, oh, the writing step in, in in the article process, we always want to assign that to our writer. But what if you're a team like Audience Ops and you have ten writers? And a lot of people ask about this sort of thing. You you wanted to have you want to have a system to automatically assign different people within the same role, and so there, there'd be different rules of of who in the role can be assigned, and, and so that's all done now, um, and it's uh, that'll be rolling out on Monday. Getting deeper in. I don't know. I'll go back to our friend Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Not much else to do. Oh, all right. So I, I'm going to talk very quickly about competition, and then I want us to talk about audiences. Cool. All right. Yep. So on, on the competition front, I, I need to get myself into a different state of mind. I have had a very unique situation with competition because the universe of competitors was very small. People kind of brave and stupid enough to do what we did with Shopify. Uh, it was really just a handful. And we were used to being like the big dog in a small pond. And that was great. And it allowed me to really ignore my competition completely and just price wherever we want. We just did whatever we wanted, whatever we thought was right. And now we're going into the app store into a scenario where we are going to be swimming in an ocean of, of, of competition. And it's not, it's not just being in a competitive space. Like I'm in a competitive space that, you know, different yes, types of competitors. It's, it's listed. But it's like literally <laughs> listing. There's card hook and like 10 pixels to the right is the next competitor. <laughs> exactly right. And you could bid on each other's uh, names for the advertising inside the Shopify app store. And it is, and it's cutthroat. And I hear some shady stuff that happens and like the whole, the whole deal. And so I'm just trying to get myself there because I, I've also, I hear rumors about what other people are doing and I get DMs and screenshots on, hey, just wanted to let you know that your competitors, you know, emailing me with this. And there's just a lot more of that noise. And I'm, I'm trying to get zen about it and just, just, you know, when I talk to Rock about it and whenever we find ourselves getting a little stressed about it, we, we kind of like center ourselves like, there's literally no one that has more experience in this than we do. We just crushed whatever, whatever competition we were with. No one knows the space better than us. Like we, we like, we have to like inject these objective truths and some opinion in there to, to be confident. Like, what should we do on pricing? Like, you know, we're going to do, what, we're gonna do what, what we think is right because we, we did really well when we did that before. And can you remind me what is, uh, I don't know what you can get into here. The, um, the deal with, with you guys going into Shopify, if some like kind of a head start, a little bit, a little bit of a head start because we are working with them on a brand new API, but it will be released to the public as soon as it's stable. When they release the API, you show up with the app in the App Store, whereas the competition has to start building. That's right, but we're not the only ones. So there are other competitors that are early, like us, working with Shopify in this early access period. So we will not be alone. It'll be a handful. It won't be 20, but probably, you know, three or four or five. I actually don't know, uh, but we won't be alone. And then, and then when the floodgates open, it'll be very crowded. So I'm just starting to get myself into that mindset. I, I don't want to be driven by competition. I don't want to be my emotions to be driven by it. I don't want my decisions to be driven by it. So I'm starting to like fortify my psyche around it and just kind of, having fun with it almost is, is seems to be the answer for me. I know you're trying to be all Zen and disconnected from the competition mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. now, but uh, do you have any insight intelligence into what the other, what that, what that small batch is planning in terms of pricing or anything else like features or whatever? No, it is, it is a prisoner's dilemma of, of, of pricing specifically, right? No one knows what anyone else is doing. And you have some indicator based on what the current pricing is, but that's not that good of an indicator because the situation is so different. So it is, a, it is the full-on like prisoner's dilemma on what to do on pricing. The interesting thing is more about the UX challenges because we want to get people excited and we want to do that not by talking. We want to do that by showing. But 
showing how we are solving UX challenges where I am, I, I'm fine saying that we are the best at that for this category in this space. And so for us to show how we're solving these UX challenges does not seem very smart. Right. Yeah. You don't want to give away the secret sauce. Yes. Cause then if you're a competitor, you're like, Oh, that's so much smarter on how they saw solved for X. Why would we do that? So it's really like, how do we get people excited and not just make it all talk and then show it at the right time? <laughs> right. Once the app is out and it's public, you know, everyone can sign up for it. And then, then, then it's, it's a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. Man, so it'll, I, it'll be interesting. I do not know anything about that world. I know like a lot of WordPress folks have, have dealt with, you know, competition in the, in the WordPress space, but. Yeah. It's a big positioning challenge. The, the, the way I see it is positioning. It's pricing plus brand plus what you focus on, what you say, what features you launch or don't launch, like everything combined. So that's. I think you said last week, like this is like the most friendly situation with Shopify that that card hook has, has been. Yes, absolutely. So like in the future, when we're not in pandemic times, like Shopify's conference and stuff, like, can you get like speaking spots? Is like, like, like how prominent can, can card hook be in the Shopify world, right? Don't know. I, I think it's, it's one of these things where, uh, Shopify has a really big challenge on their hands because whenever they play favorites, other people get mad. So there, there's always, you know, they, look, there's a lot of very competitive categories from email marketing to pop-ups to, I mean, there's a lot of categories that are extremely competitive with multiple app developers having five to 10,000 merchants. So you have a lot of companies that are legit and they're all battling for Shopify's favor and Shopify has to kind of play that right and it's it's not not an easy thing and and the uh the sales process i mean you talked months ago about how you guys went to a closed like demo only sort of sales process right right. like that's all going to change it's all going to change because like that's right people like like they're they're already in their shopify dashboard they're installing plugins they're choosing from the from the app store you know they i guess that you could still get people to a call and some with some like some user experience around that, but it's harder. Yeah, but it, it defeats the purpose of the distribution channel to put up too many barriers. So we'll have to adjust and I'm happy to describe that after we launch, not, right, not what right. we're planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So Brian, cool. you and I have talked about audiences and building an audience and the value of it. And I want, I want you to talk about that because I want us to have a debate. Okay. I don't know quite what we're going to be debating in <laughs> here, but um I will say that this has been uh, just in recent weeks. I've started to. I hope people don't take this the wrong the wrong way. I've started to like just in in terms of my focus and my time and energy and creativity. I'm I'm not as invested anymore in in the whole idea of of maintaining and growing and nurturing a personal audience like an email list. And um, so think so like things that I've had in like properties that I've owned continue to own would be like the productized course. I have another podcast called the productized podcast. I've sent out an email newsletter for many years, Twitter, and then I've got this uh, bootstrapped web podcast over, especially over the last couple of years with the email newsletter, I've seen like open rates decline and it got very fragmented, especially when I started really shifting away from talking about productized services all the time to, Hey, I'm building some software products and Hey, I'm doing, and got all these different things that I'm talking about. And I think that had an impact on readers not engaging with my newsletter as much as they used to. So there's that you know, but like people still buy the productized course and people still listen to the productized podcast. I still get new comments of people interested in, in, you know, um, enjoying that show. Personally, I don't get as much value and satisfaction and enjoyment out of spending my energy in, in, in those channels anymore as, as, as much as I used to. And, and you know, yes, there 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 are members of my audience who make their way into Process Kit as customers or leads, both, um, and that's been good. And and it's been not as good because there have been leads that came from directly from that audience who they're interested in Process Kit, but they're solo or two people, and they're maybe not quite the ideal fit. Right, at, it's not actually a fit. It's more like an affinity fit, like. I want to support you. I'm interested in what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that people would really take all the time or, or maybe potentially pay for it 
if if they didn't think that they could actually use it. And and there have been folks who have used it for a few months, but then drift away. But still, like like the the best customers on Process Kit, I can point. I know who they are, and I know that they did not come from my audience. You know, they found it another way. Then you just layer on top of all that that like the thing that I truly enjoy doing the most is just working on software and doing this podcast you know to be honest like th- these are the two things and i mean audience ops continues to run like really nothing to report there no, no changes there it's you know it's a great business it, it's funding all of my time it's given me a ton of free time to focus on on process kit um yeah, nothing wrong with that you you are not a business you know i've got an amazingly awesome team over there and we're actually hiring um right now uh hiring another project manager at, at audience ops For the last like two one to two years there it started to feel like like an obligation. Like, oh man, I haven't sent the newsletter to my list in three or four weeks now. I better write something up and send it out. I'm getting a little tired of that, to be honest. And and the same thing with the other podcast, the po- Productized Podcast. I think I'm going to be winding that down at least temporarily. I've got a couple more episodes in the queue, but you know, just preparing for for a podcast interview with someone and continuously finding guests. I, I have a, a guy who's been helping me with that, but but it's not the same. And just getting a little bit burned out on that. I'd, I'd rather spend my time working on process kit. So yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I don't see that as, 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 as big of a shift as I thought maybe we would be talking about in terms of like not focusing on audience building. I think you're just focusing. You're just, you're just narrowing the number of obligations. And I think it's a good thing to listen to your gut when you don't want to do something. I, I found myself I mean, I, I literally reply to people. I'm like, you know what? I, I just don't think I want to do this. <laughs> I'm just honest with them because you, you, it's good. It's good to be honest in that way. Um, the one, th- the one, one more quick thing that I'll mention on this is that like months ago in, in March, when the pandemic really hit here in the U S that was the month that everyone's business was like, what, yeah, <laughs> what was going to happen? What, what's happening here? And, and audience ops definitely um, saw a hit that month. And, and luckily it recovered in, you know, in April and May and it's basically back to normal and growing now. But in March, it really freaked me out mentally because um, I was seeing a much higher cancellation rate than we usually have because everybody in the world is freaking out. Tightening everything. And so when that happened back in March, I was like, okay, what if audience ops completely goes away? Which it wasn't even close to that, but in my right, mind- It makes you think about it, sure. It makes, it makes you think about that. So I was like, I better- get back on the horse with the audience ops, uh, uh, sorry, with the audience building stuff. Uh, and, your, and your heart wasn't in it. Well, I, I did a lot of work on it back in March and April. I, you know, did a big redesign of the productized site, relaunched the productized podcast, uh, developed a lot of new content over there, d- did a whole bunch of new YouTube videos over there. And, um, and it helped like, you know, productized continues to sell and stuff. It's a nice little passive income side hustle sort of thing. Uh, I like all those people, and I like to answer questions. I I no longer I did cut out the coaching. I, I used to do coaching sessions. I I no longer do that. I I can't spend the time on that. So I I it's it's like weird that like I put in a bunch of energy into this like six months ago, and now it's like okay, well, it, it, like in a way, it's like okay, it's good that that stuff is done. It'll sit out there on on the internet, but I'm just gonna like kind of let it let it be for a while, and that that's gonna be like a thing from my recent past that I'm just not actively working on anymore. Yeah. I, I like the idea of, of seasons these days also, where if you commit to doing something, it does not mean you have to do it forever. And as soon as you stop doing it, you like failed at it or quit in something horrible. It's okay to do something for a while and then just back away and then see if you want to come back to that or not. So where I was itching for a debate was around the, the value of audience building. I don't really think you're backing away from that at all. The, the, the reason for it is because Nathan Barry wrote a blog post uh, maybe this week or last week, called the Billion Dollar Blog. And in it, he articulated what a lot of us are seeing in a lot of places around the internet where I, I guess I would describe it as the the individual can now accrue the value that used to be exclusively the territory of large companies. So I, I think of I think of e-commerce because that's the space I live in. There's a YouTube star called Jeffree Star and he does makeup tutorials and a bunch of other stuff. And he launched his product line. I believe they did $50 million in the first day. And that, and that is, that 
is not that strange in the world. Yeah, like off of like what kind of audience on YouTube, like millions? Well, it, millions, but but think about this. That's not that strange. When when Mac Cosmetics launches a new line and they do you know three hundred million dollars with it in the first year, everyone's like, cool, successful product launch. That can now be done by one person, and of course they have a team behind them. There's a lot of work that goes into it, but the 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 pyramid is so incredibly flat now. It's not it's not this big pyramid. I don't even know what I'm talking about flat or or, or not. You, you know what I'm saying? The point gets to one or two people. It's it's very very different. And, yeah. and so what it's Nathan talked about, it's like a celebrity based it's, business. Yeah. Yes. But, but the internet changes the, the way you get celebrity. You don't have to be blessed by Hollywood yeah, to be a celebrity. Yeah. You kind of raise your hand and say, well, I'm just awesome. And I'm going to work hard at it. How about that? So, you know, what he, Nathan talked about was, uh, Emily Weiss, who's the founder of Glossier, right? She started off with a blog called into the gloss. I think, I think that was the name of it. And she talked about her life as this fabulous New York PR person talking about what's happening in fashion, all these parties. And she parlayed that into an audience and then parlayed that into a, a billion dollar company. So in many ways, I feel like an idiot. I know that and I can identify that. And I see people, you know, talking bad about these TikTok stars. Like, no, these people are doing the exact right thing right now for the internet. This is a moment in time that individual people can create unbelievable opportunity and wealth through an audience. And if that comes from dancing in front of a camera, like, I mean, like seeing whatever, like seeing like, like, uh, like Sarah Cooper, you know, blow up on, on uh, TikTok, you know, doing like the Trump impressions and stuff like, yes. And, and, and then she was like hosting, you know, uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show, you know, uh, like, like instant, like, so, you know, it, it's, it's just like fun, kind of fun to watch that like rocket ship happen over like, yes, months, you know? look, Nathan, Nathan's in the middle of it. He, he was like, he did design eBooks, but was really good and prolific and stuck with it. And then partly that Nathan's whole, whole story and the fact that he built ConvertKit off, like it, it, it makes total sense in that trajectory for like, he, he personally had. Uh, you know, a lot of success in, uh, from from blogging and teaching, and then and build a product around that. You know, it, this th- this is also a good week to talk about this. I, I I was listening to Justin Jackson talk, was it on his podcast or someone else's about audience? I th- I think I think Justin ha- is talking now about how he's sort of like changing his thinking on this, and I I, I tend to agree with this direction now that like. It used to be for for many years, and and in some ways it still is. You look at Nathan Barry's blog, but like the the advice, the general advice is like build an audience, then sell something to that audience, and and I saw success with that with with the productized course, and like when I started talking about productized services, that's what resonated with my audience. Productized courses done, you know, several hundred k in sales over over the years, and like I, I think in in some ways it's it was good. And it and it still is good to have the network effects of uh, to get something brand new off off the ground, going from zero to to one or zero to ten, if you will. But certain types of products, you think about like a card hook or or what I'm seeing now in a SaaS like like process kit, having the personal audience driving it is much less important, and in some ways actually a distraction. It brings a lot of noise into the equation. I think convert the convert kit is 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 really a, an exception to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can't help but feel like in the future, the, the right thing to do is to marry those two. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be personal. It doesn't need to be me building an audience to sell to. Even operating a business that takes people and helps them build an audience and then helps them sell things, like that is acknowledging that same power and harnessing it like beauty and celebrity like 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 courses teaching like it that has to be built you have to build trust in the person who's teaching the course you know in order to buy the course right i'm just trying to abstract it away from it being you as the required celebrity like sure that's cool and everyone like but not everyone's right for that yeah but as a brand new product getting off the ground like you know like there are a lot of brands that we have a lot of trust in over time you know, like, yeah, like Apple, right? Like it's not, it's not like we buy Mac computers because of necessarily because of Steve Jobs or, or Tim Cook or whoever, like Johnny Ive. Like it's, yeah, Elon Musk, good example. You know, you, you yeah. kind of root, 
he can do things, his business can do things that most people can't. And that's right. obviously the largest scale version of it, but it, yeah. Same and, and I, you, you know, and, and I, and I know that, you know, Justin has been on this, <laughs> this, this, uh, this, this theme for, for a while now talking about it, like you, you've got to find where the demand is and the, and the demand doesn't require you to have a personal audience in that space yet. If you just identify that opportunity, you know, and, and I think there, there are parts of that I completely agree with and parts of it that I, it can just work in different ways at different, um, you know, growing at different paces. I think everybody wishes that, that they found that they found the wave that that's, that's taking a rocket ship. And, and, you know, some people do find that wave, but, uh, I think there's a lot of very slow growing SaaS out there too. You know? Yes. Yes. I just like the, the leverage of it, the, the multiplier of, of an audience, the, the, the cheat code, the unfair advantage, whatever you want to call it. But, but I, I have personally seen, um, and maybe this is just like shortcomings on my end from misreading feedback from, from an audience at, at times where it's like, you're hearing things from your audience and, and you think that they should be good products and they're not, or, or you're just getting a lot of extra positive feedback when it shouldn't be as positive as it really is, you know? it's actually really difficult to sift through that sometimes, you know, at times it can also result in, uh, you know, just customers who shouldn't be customers, you know, it's just not, not a perfect fit that, that can like take a toll on the whole business and the direction and, and all that, you know, but that's not to downplay. Like there, there are definitely advantages. Like when, when you have zero email list and zero, followers and and no network to uh to test out ideas and see is, is there a pulse here is or hire someone if you need to hire someone like it's it's definitely harder starting from zero but i feel like you know so going from zero to zero to ten is 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 easier when you have a network and an audience going from 10 to 100 i think the audience is much less important in, in certain types of products like like SaaS and stuff so you still need to do the work that's yeah. a bummer all right. Well, look, as long as you're not resigning from this podcast, we're, we're going we're gonna to figure things no out. No way, man. I love this. <laughs> well, let's, let's call it. My dog looks like he's about to pee on my foot. I've, so I've been seeing your dog like, like walking circles behind you this whole, yep. this whole time. That's what he does. He sits up on my phone and he's, like, wow. and he's like, dude, it's time. Yep. Brian, yep. great to catch up. My man, thanks everybody for listening. Have a great weekend. All right. Later, folks.